it's used as a verb some 15 times, ophileo, uh, and of which four times Paul uses it, talking about things which are beneficial. And you know what? Every single time he talks about beneficial, he's talking about things that are beneficial to our spiritual life. He never once talks about anything beneficial to our physical life, always beneficial to our spiritual life. I find that interesting. So then, oh yeah, you got it. So then, after that, Paul goes on to four specific ways in which the scripture can be beneficial, can be useful, can be profitable. Now, these are not the only ways that the Bible's useful. This is, this is not uh, an, exclusive, uh, an extensive thing. This is just four happens, happen to be useful to Timothy. And I think he picks these four since he's writing to Timothy in a pastoral role. And these four that he uses are typically seen in the context of a pastoral position. How do I know that there are other uses for the Bible? because we see them other places. Let's look at how the uh, scripture is useful for just sharing of the gospel. I just want to give you three that show that it's useful for salvation. Let's go to James chapter 1 and verse 18. See, because Paul doesn't list uh, salvation in amongst these four that he looks at today. But we know salvation's one of those. James chapter 1 verse 18. Of his own will... Begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's talking about salvation there. And if we bump over to 1 Peter, one twenty-three, he talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. We're talking about being born again by the word of God. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, we're talking about the word of God, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We can partake of the divine nature through the word of God. So when... Uh, Paul here in 2 Timothy lists four uses for the scripture. It's just four out of many uses for the scripture. And we're talking in a uh, pastoral role. The first he lists is doctrine. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The Greek word is didaskalia. Didaskalia which is usually translated almost every time in the Bible, it's translated teaching in the King James. One of the major duties of a pastor in the church is to be a teacher of the people around him. I think we all agree on that, right? That's the role, one of the major roles of a pastor is to teach. But there's another useful aspect that Paul gives. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. It says, reproving, Greek word is elegmos, elegmos. This is the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. Now, it is used 20 times in the Septuagint. Uh, most notably, let's go over to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. 
Leviticus 19.17 to see another place where this word's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. It's a cumbersome verse there, but a failure to reprove is seen as a sign of contempt for God. If we forget to reprove one another, then we're showing God in contempt. That's something to think about, isn't it? Now, that's not a popular topic, especially in American churches. Shouldn't a pastor be accepting? Shouldn't he be affirming? Shouldn't he be encouraging? And yes, he should. The answer is yes, he should. But only so long as the person that he's affirming is following God's word. If they're not, then it's time for pastoral reproof. I do a lot of driving. I do a lot of driving all over New England. And I see all kinds of uh, churches where they uh, hang the stripy flag out and they'll say, we accept all pronouns and we accept all this. And they've all got their little signs out there. That's not what the pastor and that's not what the Church of God should be doing. We should be accepting, we should be affirming, as long as it jives with this word right here. That's what Paul's saying. Now, there's a third use for Scripture given, and it says, for correction. Again, this is the only time that this Greek word is used in the New Testament. When Paul's using very rare words, he's trying to make a very specific point. Now, this word for correction is used in other Greek writings outside of the Bible, and it seems to point toward correction with a goal of restoration. Correction with the goal of restoration. See, the pastor should do more than simply pointing out the wrong. He should seek to restore and point out a better direction as well. Yes, you're doing this wrong. Don't you think you ought to be doing this according to God's word? See, too often, a pastor will have no problem pointing out the wrong in somebody's life without helping to bring them back. And that gets people turned off, and then they leave the church, and they walk away from God. We see it all the time, don't we? What does the Bible say that a good shepherd does? What did Jesus say that the good shepherd does? The good shepherd left the 99 and he tracked down the one that wandered. That's what a good shepherd does. Recover it and bring it back. But there's a fourth use for scripture. And that's instruction in righteousness. The word that's translated instruction here is padeia. Padeia. That's also not a common word in the New Testament either. And it's usually referred to raising up a child. You recognize it, don't you? Uh, pediatrics is the medicine for young children, right? Pedea is educating a small child. And by using this word, Paul's making a case that the scripture is good for grounding the acts and habits in a very most basic way. The most elemental things, like an elementary education. 
Now, Paul could have pointed out many other uses for the Scripture. I pointed out a couple of them early on. There's all kinds of uses for the Scripture. But he chose these four as being most typical in a pastoral-type role, like Timothy is in. He's got to kind of be focused here. He's only got one more chapter, uh, and that's the last thing he's going to write to anybody. He's got one more chapter. So he's got to really narrow down, what am I going to say? We're going to see the next few comments, especially as we get to chapter 4. He's going to be very pithy, and he's not going to waste a lot of time. Each of these things are things that Timothy would have certainly seen demonstrated over and over and over again by Paul in his own life. As we look through the book of Acts and we see Paul speaking to people, we see him constantly reproving, correcting, instructing in righteousness, don't we? That's what he's been doing. So now, verse 17, we see Paul give Timothy the purpose for all these various We've seen all the various uses, and here's the purpose. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Starts right off with that, right? It literally means in order that. In order that. So when we consider the significance of that phrase for a minute here, we realize that the ultimate purpose for Scripture is the betterment of the believer, isn't it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God may be perfect. That's why we... Why do I still have this? This is... The newest portions of this book are 2,000 years old. It's the, argue, it's the oldest book on my shelf. Uh, the oldest portions of this book are 4,500 years old. Why do we still have it? Why do we have it in the backs of every pew here? For the betterment of the believer. That the, that the man of God may be perfect. Truly furnished unto all good works. That's why we still have the scripture. If anybody was ever wondering, that is why. Now, by calling the Christian the man of God, Paul's thinking, that's an Old Testament type language, isn't it? You don't see it too much in the New Testament, but you see it a lot in the Old Testament, where the prophet of the Lord is called the man of God, Right? We see it all the time. The, Elijah, when he stood before the king, the man of God standing here. There are no other men of God, just this one? That's the only man of God? It, we're talking Old Testament type language. We're talking the prophet. And Paul's using this term on purpose. And the goal of Scripture is that the man of God can be truly furnished unto all good works. See, that's the impact that the Word of God can have. The impact of the Word of God is that we can be prepared for anything God has for us to do. I don't know what God has for you to do. You don't know what God has for me to do. But I do know that this book 
can have you prepared, but only if you are using it. By the use of God's word, the man of God can be equipped to do any task that God has called him to. No matter what that task might be. Now, the truths contained in the scriptures are all that any of us needs. You don't need anything else. You don't need any special benediction from God. You don't need to look anywhere else for any additional blessing. You don't need to look anywhere else for any additional gifting. You need this. You have the same tools that I have. If you use them, then God will bless you. He promises that, and he can't help it, because he's a God that keeps his promises. That's all I've got. You mind if I close in a word of prayer?